Oh, hello. And welcome to Property Prompt. The game show slash podcast that shines a spotlight on new and existing writers via the medium of chatting, creative prompts, coffee and chaos with me, Letty Butler. And me, Stephen Meller. Or Dave, as we like to call him on this show. Here on Property Prompt, we don't just talk about the writer's life. No. The highs, the lows and all the bits in between. We don't just promote our guests and their work and unearth their top writing tips. But we challenge them to write live. live. In response to a series of creative prompts. Whoa there, Dave. What's a prompt when it's at home? Good question. Mm. (laughs) It can be anything from a word, a sentence, a picture. Anything that gets the creative juices flowing challenges that writer. Okay. So the first challenge is a pre-prepared prompt. Guests get one week to write a 200-word piece, which they will share on the show. Round two is a completely unseen prompt, which they'll hear for the very first time live on the show. We give them three minutes to craft a response. And last but not least comes the grand finale. Exactly the same as round two, but with only one minute to come up with the goods. Sounds fun? That's because it is very fun, indeed. It is indeed, and you can play along at home, and we'll tell you where and when and how during the show. Or perhaps you're just listening in for the sheer entertainment. This is also fine. On today's show, we have not one, but two award-winning writers from the Emerald Isle. Novelist and author of The Island Child, Molly Aitken, and critically acclaimed poet and novelist Connor O'Callaghan, who's talking about his latest book, We Are Not in the World. This week we discuss severed heads, banana delivery, how to haunt your readers, and why it's so hard to say the words, I am a writer. Right, welcome everyone. Hello. Hello. So we have the lovely Molly Aitken. And Conor O'Callaghan. Um, so Dave and I, Dave, how are you feeling? Very anxious. Shitting yourself. I'm shitting myself. Yeah. Uh, by all accounts, we're going to have a lot of um, a lot of fruity language in this one. By according to our guests, they're yeah. really going to let loose. So I'm going to let loose too. Normally, I don't let loose. So yeah, I'm shitting myself. Yeah, shitting yourself. That's because we um, we have got so many awards, novels collections published and won and shortlisted for between the two guests today so well done she said not bitterly at all (laughs) (laughs) so okay you're both from ireland completely opposite ends yeah Yeah. um dundalk and cork yeah well at least they rhyme dundalk and cork (laughs) as far away as you can get within the republic of ireland yeah Yeah. i'd say cork and donegal might be slightly farther yeah 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 so yes, I'm gonna. Well, we're, we're gonna start actually talking about your the books that you are here to talk about today. So Molly, we've got with you the Island Child. That is correct. Yeah. <laughs> and Connor, we are not in the world. We are not in the world. Mm. Okay. So I would like to well, basically, just hear a little bit about both of them from both of you. So Molly, do you want to kick us off with a little, a little, little description of of the Island Child for us? Of course. It's been so long since I've spoken about it. Like. I've like basically forgotten. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I can I'll, tell you if you like. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do my best and then you can tell me what I've missed. Okay, fine, great. Yeah. <laughs> but The Island Child is about Una, uh, a young girl growing up on a tiny uh, fictional island off the West Coast. Uh, and her little village is quite backwards, I would say, and very religious. And within it, she is trying to escape, basically. And she meets a wild little boy and his even wilder mother. And through them, she kind of sees a new way to live. So that's 
That's it in a nutshell. Fantastic. And yeah. it's your and it's your debut novel, isn't it? So it it's your is. first novel and it's done incredibly well. I've I've been lucky, I think. <laughs> no, it's, it's it's done incredibly well because it's extremely good. But a slight uh, hiccup with the American book tour situation. Yes. So it was scheduled to come out there uh, in June 2020. And I was supposed to go over and have a fancy New York tour and go to Boston. So they've chosen like the two most Irish places, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But sadly, as we know, the world changed. Yes. Yes. So I never got to make it. But hopefully, hopefully I'll go over with the next one. Yes. We'll see. Cross your fingers. I'm looking forward to the next one. We're going to talk about that in a moment as well. Mm. Um, And Connor. Yeah, I've published earlier this year a novel called We Are Not In The World, which Mm. is, it has two parallel narratives. There is one narrative that's set on a truck, a father and daughter trucking from the north of England to the south of France. And then there's a a sort of counter-narrative that's a love affair told in reverse order. So that in the first chapter, they say goodbye. And in the last chapter of that parallel narrative, they meet for the first time. It was due to be published in April 2020. And Mm. that didn't happen. (laughs) No. And then I got a call from my publisher to say, we're thinking February 21. And I said, oh, okay. Um, Because it'll be all over by then. Yeah. And it wasn't. Likely story. (laughs) (laughs) So it's been an unmitigated disaster from start to finish. I I mean, I love the book and I still kind of stand by the book. But like many another book, that was published around the same time. Yeah. And I know lots of people, lots of good writers, better writers than me, who had the same thing. But I think we were all sort of grown up enough to look at it and think, yeah, okay, we can sort of weep into our pints about our poor books, our yeah. works of literature. But there was other more serious stuff happening in the world, really, to be honest. Yeah. But I remember there was one country, and I can't remember which country it was, that said that bookshops were, like, essential. And I was like... Why didn't I publish there? <laughs> I think it was France. Was it France? Yeah, France. Actually, I've got a French translator who's in her neighbourhood. They opened up a new bookshop in yeah. like June 2020. When bookshops all over Ireland were closed, yeah. closing down. You know, because the books I mean, industry sort of thrives. I didn't yeah. stop reading. I know lots of people say that they couldn't read because they were too stressed, but like I couldn't stop. Like it was the yeah. only mm. it was the only thing I could yeah, I was the same. I was the same. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I would, I would argue that they, they bloody are essential. Although yeah. they absolutely are essential, yeah. but they are also essential to book sales. And I was shocked to discover how much book sales depend upon bookshops. Yeah. How much oh. they depend upon floor trade. Yeah, especially books like ours. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I exactly. think like. Amazon did really well with thrillers and like erotica and yeah. things like that. And sadly, that's and not what established we names. Oh, but yes. there's no kind of basically <laughs> our books depend upon people going in looking at a book of, yeah. or rather a table of books and thinking, oh, that looks quite oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. That looks good. And yeah. they read like the first few lines and are like, ah, yeah, I'll give it. Ninety percent of book sales up until I think April 2020, ninety percent of book sales were through the foot trade of bookshops, really? which yeah. I would have thought amazing. I would have thought yeah. the online sales was much bigger than that. Yeah, me yeah. too, massively. And it wasn't. Yeah. And also the weird thing, even big publishers, just you know, on big bookshops, weren't ready for the online trade. So wow. it's only kind of geared up at the end of at the end of the summer of 2020. So so a frustrating experience for both of you. Um, All right. 
Yes. But, yes. But, you know, yes. I feel tremendously lucky that anybody wants to put the drivel that I write between covers. I do, actually. I mean, would I we do. call it drivel? No, we would I not know, call it. I know, I know. But you know what I mean, though? I do feel really kind of... Yeah, well, I feel tremendously fortunate. Yeah. This is what people say about your books. So hard. You too. Okay, so for Island Child, we've got exquisite prose, original, intriguing, brimming with pathos and emotion. For We Are Not In The World, we've got stylish, deft, tragic, lyrical, dark, devastating, glorious, mesmerising and deeply intelligent. I would agree with all of those words, but there is is a word, a particular word that unites both of you. And this is for your first book as well, Nothing On Earth. And that word is haunting. So my first sort of official question to you both is what makes a book stay with you? Um, I think my primary experience of books is usually to do with language and the experience of emotions through the language. Yeah, the first book I wrote is a sort of gothic first novel I wrote is a sort of gothic, slightly thrillery oh, thing. I, uh, I love that book. But it's... I love both of the books. But I kind yeah. of learned a huge amount from, say, somebody like Henry James, The Turn of the Screw. Okay. And the big thing that I learned from reading Henry James, The Turn of the really enough the deep end here already, is that the horror resides in the language. It's not... In the action, it's not in, you know, the slashes and screamers kind of horror. It is just that the tension resides in the language. There's a wonderful passage in The Turn of the Screw where they're basically saying, she's talking about the former manservant, and Mrs. Gross is saying that he was very free with the children. And the narrator is saying, what do you mean? And she was saying, free, he was very free with the ch-. And that's all she ever says. And this idea that the horror <laughs> resides in the language and the ambiguity of that. I've got, I've got sort of goosebumps on my elbows. And it's just a horrifying scene, but yeah. nothing is said, really. Yeah, I mean, for me as well, it's to do with the prose and a writer who's very careful and selective with what they're choosing to say, but that then you don't notice it. So yeah. that it's subtle. Okay. Um, yeah, and then it comes through in that way. But I think it's also something to do with the time and place that I'm reading something. Okay, so you mean you as a reader, yes. not where the book's set? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. So if it's like a very formative time or just something in that moment of my life that I picked up the right book at the right time. Can you think of an example of that? I think Let's like, Stay With Me by Aobami Adebayo. I've just, re- I've just finished that book. Amazing, yeah. Oh, that's weird, isn't it? Yeah, I love that book. But it's all about marriage and lies and and having kids. So I read that. Secrets, it's all about that. Secrets. And like layers and layers of secrets that keep revealing. You know, you, you, both of your work, it demands an active reader. Like you you don't want them to just sort of sit back and and give them, hand them everything to them. Like you kind of, you invite them in. It's, It's not... You know, I'm, I'm not saying that it's it's they're difficult books to read because they're not. They're incredibly compelling and absorbing, and they take you on these amazing journeys. But you don't, you know, you kind of you kind of say, well, are you, are you up for this? Are you gonna, you know, you challenge them as you hmm. as you write. Is that intentional or is it just what happens? Personally, I don't think it is intentional. That's just what I enjoy reading and the way it comes out. I think, but. 
yeah I want I want my reader to be so fully engaged that they have to work a little bit as well yeah and also think about the language that I'm using and I think maybe that's where the haunting kind of description of my work comes from possibly because okay. it, it isn't like gothic or yeah. any ghosts but it is sad and I think emotionally it takes you on a journey yeah um, yeah so, are you yeah. kind of I think I'm probably more intentional about it I do like the idea of leaving space mm -hmm. within a story for the reader to sort of come forward and enter the story a little bit rather than padding out everything. What comes across then is that you're both fearless and uncompromising then within your own work. Because I are too bloody fearless, to be honest. I mean, for one's own good, I think, at this stage. I, I, honestly, I keep thinking every time I sit down to write, that I'm going to write one for the crowds. <laughs> not going to happen, then, is it? It's just uh, not going to happen. You're too anarchic. It's, it's just, I, I honestly think, oh, to love this, do you know? And then I go back and I read it after a year and I think, that is so dark. That is so out there. Like, mm. what were you thinking? What on earth were you thinking? My family never speak to me about my books or anything. <laughs> they never say a fucking <laughs> word to oh, me. Exactly they always the kind of, if the books are mentioned, yeah. they all sort of twitch slightly. Yeah, I know. Now that's interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But Have my. Told you? No, geez, no. But my books are really dark as well. And I think they're worried that the, the books that's are, something. it's about me. <laughs> yes. And them. So if they read it, they don't mention it. Do you it. know that they've read it? Yes, because they're like, I'm read it. And then silence. silence. And we're like, good, okay, moving on. They, do, they literally don't say anything about it? No, they'll be like, it's good. Sometimes it's people good. read my work and say, are you okay afterwards? <laughs> I'd love like, a bit of that. I'd love a bit of, are you okay? I don't <laughs> no. think any, if any of my family have read We Are Not In The World oh, at what? all. I don't think one of them have read it. Well, Simply yeah, because true. a couple of them did read Nothing on Earth yeah. and they automatically thought... He's having a breakdown. Yeah, yeah. Is that an Irish thing? I don't Maybe. think so. No, it's just our families. Because <laughs> I, I wanted to know about... Because um, in, in Island Child, there's that theme of motherhood mm. and particularly in uh, the yeah. latest one, We Are yeah. Not in the World, obviously there, there's the fatherhood thing. Mm. So... I'm wondering actually now if you can answer this question without getting into trouble, but, you know, how, how much of your f families are in your work, do you think? Let's be honest. Come on, Molly, let's be honest. Let's let's speak the truth. Yes. So, After you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a gentleman. <laughs> I, would, I usually say very little. And when I first started writing The Island Child, the mother figure was this really nice woman and quite like my mum, like hard in some ways, but caring. And the plot just didn't go anywhere. Like having mm. this mother and daughter who had like a fairly okay relationship, nothing happened. But yeah, but there, there are things from my family within it. Okay. I would say, but not, n none of the women were like that, let's say. Okay. Um, do you yeah, think that's maybe okay. why mothers in Irish literature are very often difficult characters? I mean, I'm thinking something like Anne Enright's The Green Road. Yeah. The mother was yes. this marvellously difficult sulker yeah. who takes to the bed for 48 hours, what the narrator calls the horizontal solution, <laughs> which is a very Irish, you know, oh gosh, she's in the bed, right, okay. Uh, yeah. um, 
Is it that Irish writers are out there thinking, well, I mean, if I describe like my mother's actually lovely, then that's going to be boring as all hell. Yeah. Let's make her a wagon. Yeah. How much in my writing is autobiographical? That's, so that's essentially what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> that's Thank you for no, I mean, oh. I think in a sort of cubist way, do you know, it's all sort of put in a blender, do you know, so that it's not, I can point to everything and everything. I think every writer can do this, if we're honest. Point to everything in your books and say, got that from there, got that from there, yeah. got that from yes. there, got that from there. So the narrator in my book is this man traveling to the south of France. He's got a younger brother who has inherited the family business and is the sort of golden child. Mm -hmm. That is definitely my own father's story. Right. My late father and his late brother my late father's younger brother inherited the family business and my father got stepped over completely. Gosh. And I think he was totally traumatised by this. My father did end up at one point, his last professional job, he was a bit of a drinker, his last professional job was delivering bananas for Fife's Bananas in the north of Ireland. Oh my God, do I would you, love that job. Do you know? <laughs> so, I mean, and and the narrator of my, of my book is driving a truck down to the south of France. When my father's mother died, or my father's father died rather, I was given to his mother for a few years to live in the house with her on my own. Wow. And she was this, a very brilliant woman who was one of the first women to graduate from University College Dublin in French and English in the 1920s, who married a really miserable bugger of a, an insurance broker. What a shame. I know, and, and she couldn't, and she would sit there at night reading Proust and Voltaire and stuff. And I was sitting there as a 14-year-old boy, basically invigilating. She didn't want me there. But my father and his brother decided that I should live with her for a few years out in the middle of nowhere on the coast. And <laughs> God. It was just weird. <laughs> and I was thinking, right, am I fucking stuck here for a few years? Yeah, okay, yeah. But she was very nice, like she, but she was a cold, cold fish. On some level, that has become my narrator's childhood. Mm -hmm. This kind of sense of, of living alone with this Francophile or a French scholar mm -hmm. who's this sort of frustrated intellectual on his own and just sort of kicking around at the seaside. And that's his memory. Mm. So what I'm trying to say is that none of it is factual mm. in the sense that none of it happened in this order. But it's okay. like all of these different narrative strands get put into a blender together and they all get mixed up and that every writer who publishes a novel can look at that novel and think, got that from there, got that from there, got that from there, even down to something that somebody told you once. Okay, so obviously both grew up in Ireland. How much would you say that has influenced your work? Is it, I mean, it's quite a difficult question, isn't it? Because like, how, how can you ever really know? But do you, think, do you think it's had a big impact? I would say so, yes. Because I think in Ireland we speak differently. And I think writers write a bit differently as well, informed by the way we speak. And I think that maybe comes from Gaelic as well. The way we structure sentences is sometimes a little bit different. Okay. Um, some of our vocabulary can be a bit different. So um, just like on a prose level, I think that yeah. has really influenced my work. Um, and then growing up in a tiny village. Yeah. Uh, but the language, I think, mm. like 
the way we use English sort of lyricism and is the, the different poetic. to like someone from London or oh, yeah, someone from absolutely. Edinburgh, you know. Mm. Um, um, what about you, Connor? Any any key differences? A sense of normality about it, a sense of normality around storytelling. Mm-hmm. Definitely a sense of normality around play with language. I think Irish humour is very language-based. Mm. Uh, my father was a terrible old barfly, a sort of gentleman barfly, and I used to go to pubs with him, and I was always agog at the extent to which him and his pals would just talk glossolalia to each other, just nonsense. Oh, sure, this is it. Stop, for God's sake. You know, <laughs> nothing, nothing had any meaning at all. And still to this day, and it appears in my book, we have a phrase in our family you can't take 60 lads to Cork and expect them to pay their fare down and back. <laughs> and this is something that somebody said in a pub in my company to my father. And as the saying goes, Felix, you can't take 60 lads to Cork and expect them to pay their fare down and back. And my father said, not at all. That's, that's ridiculous. <laughs> and what? I said to my father on the way home, what was all that about going to Cork? And he said, what? I said, <laughs> he had no idea what I was talking about. It was just language. I said, he said about going to 60 lads, going to Cork and paying their fare down and back. And he said, what are you talking about? Right. And it was just myself and my brother were both there. So we still use this phrase to this day. You know, it sort of, we use it as punctuation at the end of conversation. The conversation comes to a natural end. We look at each other and we say, well, you can't take 60 lads to Cork and expect to pay their fare. <laughs> Not at all. Do you know? And it's this kind of weird relationship with language that's very playful. It's like blowing soap bubbles in each other's faces. It's mm-hmm. just kind of, it's, I, f- I always find it screamingly funny. So when I read something like, as a young man, when I read James Joyce, and there's a huge section in the middle that's set in a pub. And that's all it is. It's just these lads talking to each other. There's nonsense. Like, it's just really colourful, gorgeous, playful nonsense. And I do think Irish people's relationship to language is very different. Hmm. Well, I mean, so, because you you started as a poet. I did. And you, interestingly, in our in our questionnaire, we, we send a questionnaire to, to our, our guests to make sure we're getting the right info, blah, blah. And you you said, yes, I was a poet in a former life. In a former life. Is that, yeah. I mean, is that to, what, you've closed the poetry no, shop? No, I just, I feel as if I have, it's like asking me, it's sometimes people say to me, not that anybody gives a fuck about my poems, but I mean, I sometimes somebody says, will you write poems again? It's kind of akin to saying to me, will you live in Ireland again? Probably not, is the truth at this stage. It's a sort of form of migration and a form of exile. I used to write poems, and if I'm honest, Letty, I would say I still love poems. I still love poetry, and I'm quite proud of the books. Yeah. And, you know, I don't come away from poetry with any kind of bitterness about it. I really love it. But I just know in my own heart of hearts that if I was still writing poems, it would only be because that's something that I did. And I would just be continuing it out of habit. Right. And I don't really want to do that, to be honest. I'm quite excited about the novels. The novels are strange, weird things, but I get I get great fun out of writing them. I mean, you're because they are quite poetic in a way, though, aren't they? Or the way that you write, the, you know, you can... I didn't want to write a poet's novel, I suppose. I, yeah, I suppose they are a bit. But there is this kind of handful of fog thing called the poet's novel is that? I in haven't which heard of this fuck term. all happens but it happens with lots of language like upholstery around it right you know? well it's not a poet's novel <laughs> I wanted stuff to happen I wanted to have a story I wanted to have a plot so when I sat down to write Nothing on Earth 
I had this in my head and I wanted to write really kind of clean little chiselled sentences. See, that's mm. the word for it, right? Clean and succinct. And both of you do that very, very well. So you choose your words carefully, which is in contrast to this kind of like fluffy soap bubbles you described it as yeah. before. So, you know, you've got this kind of awareness of the language and, and all that that can do. But then you're both so good at condensing and refining that down to like the very essence of it. How do you do that? What is that process like for you? Hmm. I think when I first write it, it is that fluffy kind of blah, 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 down the pub kind of chat. Like, here's a story. Like, yeah. I'll see if I can entertain you. There'll be a boring bit in the middle, possibly. And then I'll maybe pick it up at the end. And then just going over and over and over it. But I love language and I love playing with language and like messing around with it and trying different words. And I love a thesaurus as well. So yeah, I think it just takes a lot of time. It just takes a long time of editing and editing and editing. And reading aloud as well, mm. I think, is incredibly important. Um, because if it sounds wonky in your mouth, then it's not working. Okay. Um, if I wouldn't say it, then I wouldn't. I shouldn't write it. And I think that is similar to poets probably as well. In yeah, the way that they no, I, yes to all of the above. I think I'm a sort of maniacal editor. Yeah. And I often think editing is the most creative thing that we do, yeah. to be honest. It, the editing is the thing where this big splurge of language starts to sound like something that you might not be absolutely ashamed of to put out into the world. And that's a pr it's a process. It's like sculpture or something. Yeah. It's a process of, of, yeah, making something presentable to the world. And it is a profoundly creative thing. I want to know kind of what you're working on at the moment. So, Molly, I know you've published some some short stories and things like that, but have you got a second novel? And was it a difficult second novel? Did it, you know, that thing of difficult second album? So yes. are you experiencing that, Molly? And have you, did you experience that, Connor? So we'll go yeah. with you, Molly, first. So, yes, I actually wrote a second novel. Oh. Finished it. It was a pain in the arse, I have to say. Like, right. I had the second novel syndrome really bad. And it was really bad novel, I think. It had like something, some good bits about it, some things that I really like. But okay. um, yeah, I've decided not to publish it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, I just think I needed to get it out of my system. Yeah. And I now know what is wrong with it and how I will rewrite it. So it's going to be, it's not, it's not gone. It's not gone forever. No. But I'm actually working on something else now. And it's much easier. Freeing. And it's, yeah. It's, it will come out as my second novel, but it is actually my third. She's and it's a secret second novel. I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's, In that's the drawer. impressive to have a novel between one and two that is... <laughs> one be. I don't know that many writers. Awful. No, no, but I mean, in terms of the seriousness of what you're doing, seriously, to sort of say to yourself and be honest enough with yourself to say, nah, this is crap. I'm not putting that out in my name. Yeah. Well, I will say that I wrote it I sent it to my editor, and as soon as I sent it, I was like, no, this, this is absolute shite. Like, I can't. And then we had a conversation where she was like, is this all right? And I was like, yeah, it's crap. <laughs> I think there is great truth in that. I think yeah. the idea of actually handing a piece that you've written to somebody yeah. clarifies your thinking around it yeah, yeah, yeah. without them ever even saying anything. Yeah. Somebody yeah. whose good opinion you respect, Yeah. you hand it to them, 
Yeah. And the minute you hand it to him, you think, oh, gold. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Oh, gold. And the real problem with it was that it just had no soul. So I was doing that thing where, like, I sent it to other writing friends, like a chapter here, a chapter there, and they'd be like, oh, this is nicely written, you know, tick, tick, tick. But the whole thing together just lacked soul. And what about you, Connor? What are you working on at the moment? So I'm writing this... Um, there's enough of it written, though. It's sort of set in Ireland during World War Two. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. Neutral Ireland during World War Two, And where I was born and where I'm from, North County Louth, is right on the border. Mm. Carlingford Lock. So that the war was kind of just there. It's set in a place where... There was a marvellous little seaside town called Giles's Key. And it's two miles from the mouth of Carlingford Lock. And the other side of Carlingford Lock is the north of Ireland. And it had an American Air Force base. So the war was like just, you could see the war from the distance. And I'm fascinated by this. And I'm fascinated by it as a sort of an allegory, I suppose, of lockdown. Because the one thing that everybody says, I was reading lots of accounts, is how quiet and weird and silent Ireland was during the whole of the war. Yeah. And you could, I I do remember when I got the idea, it was reading an interview or hearing an interview on the radio with somebody saying how you could just walk down the middle of the road and there was nobody there. And I was thinking, fuck, that was just like lockdown. Yeah. (laughs) You could just walk down the middle of the road. And the other weird thing that happened in Ireland during World War II was that all of these bodies washed ashore from the war. Um, in Claire Will's account that Neutral Island that was published by Faber and Faber, Ireland during World War II, this is one of the weird things that she uncovers. It wasn't covered in national newspapers. It was just covered in newspapers at local level. Mm. Nearly a thousand bodies washed ashore in Ireland during World from the war. God. Shipwrecks, plane wrecks, everything. And it was quite common to meet a farmer in the middle of nowhere in a German jacket or something mm. that was fetched off the tide. Just... And I've been reading histories of it, and it just sounds wonderfully dystopian and wonderfully weird, but also tremendously jolly, because where where it's set in North um, County Louth, I miss the jolly bit. But the, no, the jolliness is the American soldiers just yeah, coming down yeah. and Having the dances. Yeah, yeah. And um, my mother remembers the dances. Yeah. You know, all these soldiers coming down, these GIs coming down from just over the border and coming down in a boat. You know, across <laughs> for the night, just amazing, absolutely amazing. Take me there now. Yeah, yeah no, I, I, I kind of so I've, I've been doing that, and it's I've got about sixty-five thousand words written. Gosh, brilliant! But that sounds like an awful lot, but it's not a lot actually, to be honest. Because sometimes, and you know, mm. sometimes you write a thing, and you write and you write and you write, and any fool can write sixty-five thousand words. But having written sixty-five thousand words, I think I can sort of see the story actually. Right. Yeah, yeah, Do you know, yeah, yeah. sometimes yeah. you write and you write and you write. Yeah. And you suddenly see that story off in the distance and you think, mm. and it can take you that long sometimes, I think. Mm. It can take you 65,000 words to think, well, that's the story. Yeah. That's the story. Yeah. And speaking of stories, um, lovely segue there. Thank you. Uh, I think it might be time for the prompts. This episode, um, I had a dick around on Twitter and um, I found uh, it's taken from a, a, a account called Writing Prompts and Tips. So I thought, well, that's that's probably ticking the box, uh, which is at it's time to write. So the prepared prompt, which all of the guests had a week 
to work on, apart from Connor, who only read it yesterday. Um, I also. Uh, and Molly, <laughs> apart from Connor and Molly, who. Honestly, Letty, it was this morning. <laughs> Just stop showing off, yeah? Um, okay, so it was this. Go to your bookshelf and pull out a red book. Go to page 32. The first noun on the page is your character's worst fear. The last word is their best defence. So you all had that intriguing little prompt and you, the yeah, up to 200 words on it. So who would like to to read their response first? Dave, I'm looking at you. No, is that too mean? I'll, I'll, I'll go, happily go first. Um, okay, this is. Uh, do you need to know what it's what, what I took it from, or just just just? Should I just read? No, just read it. Okay, it's called Five Whiskies. It was a Tuesday night. There were five quick whiskies in. Another? No, I, sh- I should be should be getting home. I, I I need to get home. Why? I thought you said the in-laws were there. They'll be gone by now. Then, like it was some slutty confession, he added, "Little Billy's not sleeping." So, none of the little buggers do. I mean, he's really not sleeping, just cries and cries. Have you tried? Oh, we've tried everything. Then they did that man thing where nobody speaks. Until. I got home the other day and Jenny was. She was stood over him. He was in his cot and he was crying again. She hadn't even got dressed. She had this pillow in her hands. She was holding it really close to his face. Jack, it's tough. You know when it's your first one. It's tough on everyone. But it's not the first time I've found her like that. The other day I found her crushing up pills and when I asked why, she didn't say anything. Jesus, Peter, I I go to work and I don't know if he's he's still going to be alive by the time I get home. She's his mother. Mm -hmm. Wow. Dave? Wow. Because the first word, the the fear was mother and the defence was families. That's what I got. You see, should have gone with that first, shouldn't I? What was the red book? The book was uh, Wyeti Moore's She Would Be King. She's a Liberian writer. I was born in Liberia. and um, mm. You were born in Liberia? I was born in Liberia. Can you not wow. tell? You and George Weyer? <laughs> yes, yes. Who's now I... president and I'm now sat in the room in Hallam University. <laughs> it's a fa- I think it's a fascinating fascinating country. Not yeah, Partly because I was born there and it has a certain pull for me, but because... How you, the you, how, sorry, how were you born there? My parents were working out there. Okay. Um, back in the 60s, so uh, I got born out there. So. For these next two, I'm, I would like us to try and guess what the... Um, what the two things what were. What the two things are. Mm. Yeah. Give okay. it a go. Give it a go. Um, Christ, I've never done this before. This is so petrifying. Just wait, just wait till we get the one minute one. Here's what you do. Pick a city, any city, the bigger the better. You go to the epicenter of that city and breathe it in all that traffic, all those centuries of brick and stone, all the steel and iron, all the fibre optic cable humming underneath. It is so beautiful. It feels so beautifully safe. Here's how you judge the size of any city. Starting on foot from that epicentre in any direction, how long does it take you to start seeing fields and cows? Hours? Days? That's how big the city is. I've done this more times than I care to count. Drop myself into a city's heart and set the stopwatch and pick a point on the compass and walk. Dublin is shit. 
I saw my first cow within the hour. New York, <laughs> not the monster you think. North Jersey can be pretty pastoral and is just over the water. London is a whole other animal. You could set off from Piccadilly on a Wednesday afternoon and by Thursday lunchtime still be in the midst of the green belt's exquisite grime. I love those places. A city is never more itself than in those fringes where it's coming to an end. The buildings space out incrementally. The parking becomes free. And suddenly there it is off in the distance. That thing I fear the most. Fucking nature. At that point, I will turn and find the nearest station and head back into safety. I will sit up all night composing letters to those I love, telling them what I saw and how I faced it down. Mm. <laughs> what is the thing we fear? Nature. Yeah. Um, I defense. got it from Nancy Mitford's um. Voltaire in Love. Mm -hmm. Brilliant. Page 32, the first, I thought, get in. Nature. Right, that's a bit yeah. piss all over nature. <laughs> um, <laughs> Could be, it's so broad. And letters. Letters? We just shoehorned the letters in at the last minute, so yeah. Okay. <sighs> Molly, let us hear your 213 words, please. Dear Gate Builder, my requirements are as follows one gate, 20 feet high, and 20 feet across, roughly. Material, solid steel or similar. Weight so heavy that it's impossible to open. Before sending, please sanitise every inch. I would prefer if as few people as possible would install it. Speed is of the essence. Summer is approaching now. The tourists will be upon me any day. Two weeks ago, I found a man sitting by my fountain. I hid myself in the maze before he could spot me. But I could well imagine those dirty hands of his reaching out for my silk gown and freshly washed skin. I lay under the deepest hedge until morning, crawled out all scraped and never colder in my entire life. I'm sure reading this you will understand my urgency. Believe me when I say no one has required your services more. They're coming for me. The cameras and the crowds and worst of all the children. They'll be in my gardens, pulling up my lilies, their mothers, changing their nappies in full view of my dining table, and their hands, their filthy, stinking hands pressed against the walls and doors and locks. Really, I will never understand why my mother decided to build our palace entirely out of glass. Yours sincerely, a customer. <laughs> Very good. Wow. Great. So the thing the speaker fears is... Hmm. <laughs> all pointing at each other. Well, I was going to say other people. Dirt. Other people. 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 Oh, people people was germs. the word. People. 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 Yeah. yeah. That's what I got. Yeah. And, and the defense. defense. The gate. Gate. Yep. The Correct. Gate. We're good at this. <laughs> yes. Okay. So... We're going to hit you with... How do you feel about writing live, by the way? As two published not writers... Not good. Not Very good. nervous. Not good. Yeah. There is a Monty Python sketch that imagines the composition of Tess of the Durbervilles <laughs> being a sports event that's being commentated upon on the radio. And here comes Thomas Hardy. And the crowd's gone wild. <laughs> so this is what it's like. Yeah. Um, okay, so for those of you wanting to play along at home, um, we are about to do the three-minute prompt. So get ready. Set your timer, and as soon as you hear the prompt, just pause the podcast, scribble three minutes, don't cheat, and then come back to us. 
when you're ready. Okay, so the prompt is... Oh, hang on. Peter, A, B or C? C. <laughs> okay. Right. So today's prompt for three minutes is... Someone keeps sending you severed heads of birds. Go. Come on, it's finished. <laughs> Dear Mum, thank you for the birds. Right, so... <laughs> Just for those of yep. you at home, we had we had some antics that, that went on here because Connor finished his in, um, I would say, 20... Record time. Yeah, record time. <laughs> right, well, we'll save, we'll save your short and sweet one to the end, I think. Connor? My haiku. <laughs> My, my haiku. <laughs> so, Dave. Oh, no, we've had, you went first last time, didn't you? Molly, would you like to kick us off? <laughs> yeah. How did you great. find that? Um... I was a bit distracted, I will say. Connor. <laughs> I'm just going to read. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. It's constant. Every morning, I wake to a bloody doormat. I know who it is. I see her creeping up the path just before the shop's open. In case you're wondering, it's Letty from the pet shop. I swear oh, to God, God, it was a mistake when I killed all her budgies last week. Well, yes, it was you... a mistake when you did that, but I would never send you them in the post. <laughs> How can you do that? I had a moment where I couldn't think of a name and then I looked up. Well, it's quite... Is that just off the top of your head? Seriously. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes. I think the power of imagination of some people is just genuinely extraordinary. I'm not even being sarcastic. I mean, genuinely, I think I have zero imagination. That's, you know... (laughs) I think your books might beg to differ. The bloody doormat. I mean, I don't love the yeah. idea of that, yeah. but yeah. that's... But it's a nice image. Yeah. Well, it's a bloody image, but yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's visceral. It's an image. It's, yeah. it's there. It's there. With but the I mean, from the prompt, you went straight to this kind of really rich visual image of this kind of bloody doormat every morning. Hmm. Yeah. It's just amazing. I don't know about that, but... I, 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 I'm in awe of the... Um, so basically, all I got was, give us the prompt again, Letty. <laughs> The prompt was, someone keeps sending you severed heads of birds. And my one is, stop sending me the severed heads of birds. Thank you. (laughs) You were inspired by my letter. I have zero imagination. I just, I actually, the more I think of it, the more I look at other writers, I think, God, these guys have such imagination. But do you think that was fair? You were just like, I don't know what to do. I'm just going to shut it down. I, yeah, mm. and do you know what it is too? And I, this is, is, I suppose this is talking seriously. Yeah, mm. yeah. I think a lot of comedy yes. comes out of precisely that fear. Mm-hmm. That is the fear of failing, the fear of looking thick, the fear of feeling pretentious. And it is, and I think it is a big thing that Irish and English people share. Mm. Yes. This yeah, yeah, yeah. shutting down with humour. Yeah. I wrote Big this time. down. I thought it was hilarious when well, I wrote it, it down. Well, it did make me laugh when I read it. But, okay, <laughs> so if we're kind of going to waffle around it a bit, yeah. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you if I was to step back and th- encounter that from somebody else in response to that prompt, I would probably think, do you know, is yeah. it quite defensive? 
Mm. And I think, yeah, I mean, there are lots of differences between Ireland and England, Mm. but I think the way in which we use humour as a shield, as a sort of defence mechanism. And I suppose if one was to be honest about it too, and I think people who have to be really honest with themselves, that there's something slightly cowardly about it too. Yeah. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. Yeah. It did. The, it, but I do. Oh, no, I like a laugh. I do like a laugh. It did make me laugh. I like, I like yes. a laugh. I like a laugh. You've got a laugh. I got a laugh. Got a laugh. I like a good laugh. Right then, Dave, should we have a laugh at yours, then? <laughs> <laughs> no? <laughs> yeah. He said, I love you. Huh? She said, but how can you be so certain? Because no one understands me as you do. No one has ever listened to the truth inside my soul. No one, I swear, no one. And for that, I will forever love you, forever be devoted to you, forever, forever, forever. And at that point, some Irishman to my right was going all the way through. And I could not work out how to get in the fact that he loves this person because they keep sending him severed heads of birds. Well, you'll oh, get that's there. interesting. <laughs> well, you'll get there. Yeah. I have a good feeling about this. Yeah. <laughs> you might have done a bit better if you hadn't just kept, kept, kept writing forever, 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 forever. And crossed out the word repeat. It's <laughs> <laughs> like a sort of updated version of what is the, in The Shining, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy written over. It's like a sort of a nightmare version of the writer's life. Okay. So, again, for those of you listening at home, we are about to do the final prompt. So if you want to play along, um, set your timer for one minute now and then pause this for a minute. And if you want to send us what you've written, we would love to read it. Okay, so the final prompt, one minute. Describe an orange to someone who has never seen one. Go. Go. How was that, everyone? Um, <clears throat> it seems I'm not great at not being flippant. Um, <laughs> no, but there is a passage in in Brian Keenan, the guy who was in Beirut as a hostage with Terry Waite and and John McCarthy, and they were locked up in a room together. And he has an account of this: an mm-hmm. evil cradling. And one of the things is a description of finding an orange in this dark room and holding the orange up and sort of seeing a glow in the dark and just looking at it and not seeing one for the first time in 18 months. And it being the most beautiful Mm -hmm. thing you've ever seen in your life and not wanting to eat it because to eat it would be to sort of get rid of this beautiful image mm. and how the three of them just sort of sat in the dark looking at this orange in his hand thinking wow that's amazing and I, could, I just got that stuck in my head and I couldn't kind of get beyond that really mm. so what have you written? I just wrote it's like the sun in your hand imagine that um, but it's a beautiful passage it's a hell oh, of a I love that though mm. but mm. it's a hell of a good book like yeah. you know it's like the sun in your hand imagine that yeah. That's lovely. What have you got? 
Where you deflected attention away from yeah. Oh, yeah. Again. You know what it is. Sorry, you, you, you've come... You've got your novel. Um, <laughs> I find writing intensely embarrassing. Right. Yes. I find having okay. written Great. and admitting to writing intensely embarrassing. And I do think... It is an Irish thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? There's a wonderful. Do you do the same, Molly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? really embarrassing. Fear of affectation. There's a yeah. phrase in the Seamus Heaney sonnet about his mother, and it's about fe- fear of affectation and going home to his mother and his mother kind of being slightly nervous in his company because he was now this decorated author. And it's a really moving little sonnet. But there is that sort of that fear of affectation is a huge part of Irish life. Yeah. Uh, fear of seeming up yourself. Fear of yeah, yeah. You're always pretension. deflect. You yeah. always deflect compliment. I don't know what to do with a compliment. I'm just like no. Terrible at it. What? Absolutely Where? terrible. Yeah. And I yeah. think there are lots of people out there. I mean, I won't say lots, but yeah. maybe four people out there <laughs> who have come and have probably walked away thinking, God, that was a bit weird, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. But if I get a good review, I read it and I'm like, no, they're wrong. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it's nice. I'm like, oh, it's nice yeah. that they thought that, but they're wrong. Yeah. yeah, but it is intensely embarrassing. I mean, I, I know people in England who come from cultural backgrounds. You know, I don't come from that kind of... My father was an insurance broker, an actuary who became a driver of a banana lorry. You know, my mother's family were sort of beautiful peasant farmers from County Monaghan. Mm. There's nothing in my background at all that, it, that says literature. And to try and square yourself with that world. Yeah. I think it's a very common experience for writers. You have to sort of, yeah, you have to deflect away from it. Mm. And, you know, I go home and my brothers will say, how is, how, how you know, how are the, how's the writing going? And I'll go, oh. It's a kind of barrier. And I'll go, oh, grand, yeah, oh, mm. grand. <laughs> so yeah. I, we have to treat it like it's a sort of, like I work in a supermarket or something. Yeah. You know? yeah. And that's, if. They can come to terms with it on those terms. Yeah. And that's fine by me. I don't want to talk about it. They don't want to talk about it. But then when you go out into the world and have to front up as a writer, it's difficult to get away from that mode. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm always like, saying that. I'm yeah. always saying, ah, it's just a job, you know. It's just a job. It's, just it's like a, a nine to five. You know? It's exactly the same. Yeah. It's like being in Tesco. <laughs> Is it just the clash of cultures, though? I mean, the, the, that's the previous weekend. I was at an event with... Um, Part of my family, which are very much uh, bankers, insurance, doctors, and all of that, and none of them are what I would call of, of a creative ilk, <clears throat> you know. And and I, I I started writing only you know a handful of years ago, and I'm still trying to catch you guys up in the nice nicest sense. And it's it's one of those where it's taken me many many years within those five or five or six years to actually turn around and say, well, I'm I'm a writer. Mm. Not aspiring, not trying to be, not, you know, wanting to be. I am a writer. Right? Yes, nothing's been published, and therefore that kind of like takes away a bit of the ground you stand on. But it's, I am a writer. And, and to turn around in those in that event and go, well, I'm, I'm a writer. And there were, honestly, there were some of them looking as if we had four heads, you know, and it was like, well, I can't talk well, what about What do you feel when you say, do you feel embarrassment? Do you feel defiance? Uh, to me, there's a clash of, of cultures. Uh, yes, there's an embarrassment sometimes to say I'm a writer because I know for a while they're going to say, "What have you written?" And you want to mm. go, "Nothing you can read yet," you know, and that that makes you feel almost. Th- th- to me, as a as somebody who's just started out, you tend to sort of go, 
that that wonderful moment of actually admitting it and then almost immediately after having to be embarrassed about it because in yeah. so many people's eyes if you haven't had the publications that you guys have had and you haven't had the the reviews then you are almost a failure yeah. at the very thing that you desperately want to be a success at and but i know I mean, success I suppose... has many different you know de mm. definitions but this I would come back to that and say, yeah. I don't think, I mean, I understand from personal experience exactly what you're saying. Yeah. But I don't think any published writers are out there looking at somebody who hasn't published thinking yeah. they are a lesser writer. Okay. Morning. Yeah. Fits in the palm of your hand. Put it to your nose and the skin is silky. It smells sharp like the Mediterranean. That was it. Lovely. This is beautiful. It is silky. Is. I love it. <laughs> Dave? What, oh, you want mine? Yeah. You'll love it. You will. Let me blindfold you and feed it to you. Trust me. Ooh. Wow. Is that it? That's yeah. a bit creepy. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous, though. It's gorgeous. But it's a completely sort of sidelong approach. You're not actually trying to describe the thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. That was really hard, actually, describing it. I, I don't like yes. what I did. That's where I got stuck. I yeah. got stuck in this kind of literal yeah, sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. visualisation. That was our problem. We should have done it like you. Yeah, what yeah. can you do with an orange? I yeah. just, just I, I blanked on that one. So I got stuck on the smell of things. What does it smell like? It smells like orange. Christmas. Orange. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should have done <laughs> Yeah. That was um, a tricky one. Um, right, so just finally, a parting tip for our listeners. Or, or I mean, if you've got, yeah, what's the most useful thing or piece of advice anybody has ever said to you or given to you about writing? Um, my supervisor on my master's was Faye Weldon, and she said to me, no one likes to read about old people. Bearing in mind, she was 82 at the time. <laughs> and she was like, make your character 16. So that's the piece of advice I'm going to pass on. <laughs> I love it. No one likes to read about old people. That's a terrible thing. That's, that's terrible. terrible. That's it's cool. not actually true because there are amazing books about older people. Yeah. But Originally. that is the advice that I remember from her. Um, I saw, I read an article of an American writer who talked about studying with James Baldwin. And he remembered the piece of advice and I always thought it was just amazing. They were had a sort of get together and he went to James Baldwin the last night of the course and said, OK, I'm leaving now to try and be a writer. What? And James Baldwin said to him, whenever you find that you can do something as a writer, stop doing it. And I thought, yeah. I mean, it's an extraordinarily difficult yeah. maxim to go by. What a beautiful, beautiful place to draw a line under this wonderful episode with two of... Yeah, I'm going to say with two of Ireland's finest, Molly Aitken, Connor O'Callaghan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Cheers. Thank you. And as always, thank you so much to Hallam for their studio space, to our wonderful producer, Peter at Cornucopia Radio, and to you lovely lot for listening. See you in two weeks' time. Oh, yeah, and, and thanks to you as well, Dave. Really? No. If you've been playing along at home today, we'd love to see your responses to any of the prompts. And if you're a writer and would like to be on the show, please send us an email to promptyprompt 
at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter or Instagram at PromptyPrompt or head to our website, which is promptyprompt.co.uk or promptyprompt.com. We've got both, just in case. You'll find information there on our website about how to join our Discord server. Come and join the community, share your written work, connect with others and have fun with your own writing prompts. If you'd like more information on today's guests or a recap of the prompts, they're all available for you as part of the show notes. And finally, if you have enjoyed Property Prompt, and we really, really hope you have, please share the shit out of it. Tell your chums and tell your mums. And if you could give us a five-star rating so new listeners can find us more easily, that would be amazing. 